Beloved congregation of the Lord in 2 Kings chapter 6, we read together, we, we have this history of the king of Syria. He's making war against Israel. But every time he planned an attack, Elisha would warn the king of Israel. He would say to him, don't go to that place, O king, because that's where the king of Syria is coming to attack you. And sure enough, every time he didn't go there, and every time he escaped. You can imagine that the king of Syria rightly thought, well, one of my men must be a traitor. How in the world can the king of Israel know where I'm going to be before I even have told my own men? And one of his men said, no, king, it's not one of us that's a traitor. But Elisha, the prophet of the Lord, he, he's the one who tells the king of Israel your words, even the words you speak in your bedroom. And so the king of Syria says, well, go find Elisha. Find out where he is and bring him to me. And he sends a great army. And he surrounds the city of Dothan because he's found out that that's where Elisha is. So there's a huge army of the Syrians surrounding this little town of Dothan. And that brings us to our text for this morning. We have been a beautiful example before us of, of how a mature, older believer helps a struggling beginner in grace. And it's also an example of how a mature believer can help another mature believer who's lost sight of his place in Christ Jesus by grace. But no matter what the problem is, no matter what the issue is, the solution is always the same. We hear about that this morning. Our text is 2 Kings 6, verse 15, 16, and 17. Let me read that to you once more. God's word here says, And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed, and he said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. The theme is blind eyes opened. First, we, we see the servant's problem. And then we hear Elisha's pronouncement. And then we see the Lord's provision. The servant's problem, Elisha's pronouncement, and the Lord's provision. The servant has a huge problem. We read about this, this servant in verse 15. We have three Persons mentioned here, three beings, God, the man of God, and the servant of the man of God. And they're all connected. By serving the man of God, this servant is serving God. 
because he's doing God's work. He's ready to serve his master. He gets up early in the morning. And we don't know what, what his mindset is that morning. But I'm sure, like most of us, he gets up in the morning and he expects to, to be able to do his work and go about his normal business in the same way he always does. And good things will, will happen today. He does not expect to see what he sees or to hear what he hears. The servant, when you compare him to the mature Elisha, is little. He's a small beginner in grace. He's weak. He's inexperienced. He's a young man, verse 17 tells us. A young man, probably one of, one of the students from the school of the prophets. So early in the morning, he gets up and he goes outside. Maybe, maybe children, he's going to make breakfast for Elisha. He's Elisha's servant. And he looks after his master. Maybe he's thinking about Elisha's plans for the day. He goes to the edge of the city. He looks towards the east. And maybe he's looking for a beautiful sunrise over those fertile fields there of that area because that, that little town Dothan, the Dothan means two wells. So any town that had two wells was considered very blessed and they would have lush and fertile fields and this is where Elisha lived. And then the next word you read here is behold. Behold. Children, I don't know if you've ever noticed how many times that word appears in the Bible. Maybe you could do a, a word search sometime and, and figure out how many times. But every time it says behold in the Bible, it means now stop and look. See. Pay careful attention to what you are about to hear or see or witness. It calls for special attention. And here's this servant, unexpected unsuspecting, going about his daily work, and suddenly, behold, and he stops, and he meets with a surprise, and he's shocked at what he sees, and he looks to the west, and he sees the same thing, and he looks to the north, and it's all the same, and south too, all around the city, there's this, this alarming picture that he sees, and it's it alarms him and it scares him. He's full of fear. What does he see? He sees an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. An army, and not just any army, but the Syrian army, the arch enemy of Israel the world power of the day. And, and that army surrounds the city of Dothan, which is not much more than a village on a hill. And on every, tide, every side, this town is surrounded. The strong army with horses and chariots. And it's no wonder that he's alarmed because no matter which way he looks, there is no way out of this. There is no way to escape. No one comes in. No one goes out of this town as long as it's surrounded by the Syrian army. So King Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, he's managed now to entrap Elisha. Because that's where Elisha is. And Elisha's servant saw the army and the horses and the chariots all around. What will he do? Will he despair? 
Where is he going to hide? You see the servant's problem? His problem is this, this army of Syria surrounding the village of Dothan. And everything is hopeless. But he has a greater problem than that. Because he sees only the problem and no solution. And he has even a greater problem than that. Because he is paralyzed with fear. That fills his heart. He's terrified. But even in this state of being terrified and fearful and so afraid, he had a privilege. He knows where to turn with his fear. See, as the servant of the man of God, as Elisha's servant, he has often seen Elisha in action. And he knows the man of God. And the man of God will know what to do. That's why he goes to Elisha. He said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He goes straight to Elisha for advice. He, he took his, his problem to God's representative. That's where he went. He goes straight to the man who has the word of God. He knows Elisha will know what to do. Elisha has, has a connection to the Lord God Almighty. And this servant is not afraid to, to call on his more experienced master in his time of need. And so should we never be afraid to ask advice of a more mature Christian when we are puzzled and we're afraid and we don't know what to do. If you think of this, of this servant as a new believer, he's, he's just a baby in grace. He's not experienced in, in life's battles. Maybe you remember those days. When you first began to be aware of problems in your life with no solutions, with no escape, seeing only lions in the way and many stumbling blocks as a new believer, when, when you had those first glimpses of, of your misery in yourself and you saw only your own sins and you begin to see your depravity and you know that these are enemies. And you begin to be aware of your unbelief. And, and even an unwillingness to bow before God. And all you could see in any direction were enemies accusing you. And threatening you. And tempting you to sin. And you saw only darkness and no ray of light and no hope. And it's important for us to see the cause of, of this servant's fear. Why is he so fearful? Was it because he saw too much? Not at all. It was because he saw too little. See, he had eyes only to see the problems and the dangers. Now seeing problems and dangers is not wrong. In fact, it can be a great blessing 
because it shows us our need and our inadequacy. The real problem is what he did not see. Just like that new young believer who's begun to see his miserable condition, but not yet the deliverance. Who's begun to see sin and inability and weakness all around, but not yet seeing Christ. It can be that way for someone who seems to be so close to faith in the Lord Jesus, so close to laying hold on, on Christ and yet hesitating and, and drawing back and staying away so close yet so far. Finding faith so difficult. Because living by faith is not the natural thing to do. And you're beginning to see things you never saw before, perhaps, of your sinfulness and what lives inside here and the rebellion that's in there and the unbelief and the self-love and the self-centeredness and maybe having a vague idea but what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus and but, but not being sure. And seeing no way of escape from the enemy surrounding you and inside of you. The enemy of self and that powerful sin and the world and Satan and being squeezed, as it were, in a vice under tremendous, tremendous tension and needing help. And yet that servant has learned through the word of God that God has the answers. He doesn't know what the answer is yet, but he knows God has the answer. And he knows that somehow believers like Elisha have access to the solutions. Like today, we know that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ have the answers to all of life's problems, and yet not knowing how to get there. So he turns to the only helper he knows, Elisha. And Elisha here is a picture for us of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember what Peter said to the Lord Jesus. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Alas, my master, says the servant to Elisha, what shall we do? What shall we do? When we are brought to that place where we cry out to the master Jesus, alas, master, what shall we do? That's a good place to be. That's the place where we lose all self-confidence and we turn to God. And we find out that indeed God does have the answer to whatever the problem or the issue may be. We go secondly to Elisha's pronouncement. So the servant comes and he says to Elisha, Alas, master, what shall we do? And 
what does Elisha do? What, how does he answer? He answered with two little words. Fear not. Fear not. That little phrase appears 38 times in the Old Testament. And every time it comes with encouragement. It's never just fear not, period. There's always something coming after it. The first time you read that phrase in the Bible is Genesis 15, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. I'll give you a couple more examples. Another one from Isaiah 43. Thus says the Lord to his people, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. And the final time you read it in the Old Testament is when the angel speaks to Daniel. And he says, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. You hear it every time, that connection? Fear not, I am your shield. Fear not, I've redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. Fear not, peace be to you. Be strong, yes, be strong. And we read those phrases in, in the Bible, those fear nots. And every one of those fear nots is applicable to every one of God's children. Not just to Abram does the Lord say, I am your shield. He says that to all of those who trust in him. Be strong. Yes. Be strong. Think about at Christmas time when we all read Luke 1 and Luke chapter 2 and how many times do, do we not hear the fear nots in there? Fear not, Joseph. Fear not, Mary. Fear not, Zacharias. Fear not, shepherds. In the New Testament too, that fear not is repeated over and over 25 times. Most of the time spoken by the Lord Jesus himself. One time he said, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus himself said it over and over. And then he sends his messengers too with those same words. Fear not, says the angel to the women at the tomb. I know that you are seeking Jesus. If that angel were to come here this morning with his fear not, would he say that of you too? Fear not, because I know that you are seeking Jesus. And when you're seeking Jesus, you have no reason to fear. He will find you. Alas, Master, what shall we do? Fear not. What an answer. 
to this servant who, who sees only hopelessness and, and dead ends and certain death. And Elisha says, fear not, don't be afraid. How can he say that? We're, we're facing certain destruction here. We're going to a violent end. These, these soldiers of Assyria are ruthless. And yet Elisha says, fear not. What does Elisha know that the servant doesn't know? What does Elisha see that the servant doesn't see? Why does Elisha say, fear not? Is he just trying to, to calm, him, calm him down a little bit, a little, little pat on the back, say, it's going to be okay. Everything's okay. No, says the servant, everything is not okay. Everything is all wrong. And yet Elisha says, fear not. And when he speaks those words on behalf of God Almighty and on behalf of the Lord Jesus, he is showing personal concern and gentleness and encouragement because Elisha knows something. He believes something. He, he trusts God Almighty for something. The word of God tells Elisha, fear not. All is well. And he believes it. And what is that then? My dear servant, you should not fear because they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, Elisha doesn't say, I think that those who are with us are more than those who are with them. He doesn't say, I feel that there are more with us than there are with them. He doesn't say maybe or perhaps. He states it as a fact. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Yes, my dear servant, I know. You see the army of Syria with their horses and their chariots and this great host is against us. I know it's all true and I'm, I'm even glad that you see it and that you realize it. I'm glad you recognize the power of that enemy and the weakness of yourself. Yes, I know you see this huge army surrounding Dothan and yet what I say is true. There is a greater army with us. That's why I say, fear not. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha encourages the servant and he gives him the basis of that encouragement. Just like all the other times, this, this fear not doesn't just stand by itself. It's always fear not for Fear not for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That's the reality of God's divine protection, God's divine providence. Dear servant, don't be afraid. God's greater army is with us. But that doesn't take away the problem, does it? Elisha can say that, but the servant can't see them. Elisha can tell him ten times, fear not. He can even tell him 
why not to fear, but until he sees them, he will only go on in fear and unbelief, and he will keep crying, Alas, Master, what shall we do? He needs a, a special treatment that Elisha can't give him. Elisha can encourage him. He can speak words to him. But this is something that Elisha can't do. So he's addressed his servant now with, with encouragement and instruction. And now he stops talking to the servant. And he goes to the Lord with the petition for his servant. He, he spoke to the servant on behalf of God, about God. And now he's going to speak to the Lord about his servant. He's going to express his need for illumination. Parents, we know what that's like, don't we? We speak to our children about God. Yes, we must. We do. But we speak more to God about our children, don't we? There may come a time when your children won't hear you speaking to them about God anymore. And, he, and then especially, we speak to God constantly about our children. So here, Elisha is going to speak to the Lord about his servant. And Elisha prayed and he said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Elisha knows his limitations. He, he can bring the word. He can say, fear not. He can tell his servant of, of that greater army that's with us, but he can't make him see it. That takes a supernatural operation of the Holy Spirit. But Elisha knows exactly where to turn. To Jehovah God. The faithful, covenant-keeping God of Israel. The Almighty One. The One who is as merciful as He is majestic. The great physician. The servant came to his master Elisha, the man of God. And Elisha turns to his master God himself, who can open blind eyes. And he, he intercedes for his servant. Open his eyes that he may see. Lord, give him eyes of faith. And how necessary that is. Not just for that servant there in the Old Testament, but how necessary that is for all of us. That the Lord would open our eyes. To see ourselves as we really are in the sight of God. That the Lord would open our eyes that we would see our great sin problem. But also that we would see the solution that God has provided in Christ Jesus the Lord. To see God's way. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. To the servant he says, fear not. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And we have to be careful. You know, if, if a person is, is living in sin and persistently living in sin, we don't say to that person, fear not. We say to that person, fear God. And turn and repent from sin. And we pray for that person too. Lord, open his eyes that he may see a sin. 
Open his eyes that he may learn to look to Christ Jesus. But here in verse 16 and 17, we, we see the three ways that Elisha deals with, with this servant and his fear. First, he demonstrates that personal concern through a word of encouragement. Fear not. Don't be afraid. And then by, by giving biblical instructions that, that gives the reason why he shouldn't fear, it's because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he prays for the servant's illumination. Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And those lessons are so very practical and powerful. How, how can we, as a church body, as the believers of this church, how can we minister to the fears of people? How can experienced Christians minister to, to struggling little ones who are just beginning in the life of grace and faith? How, how must established believers help inexperienced beginners? How can we counsel other believers? Well, the Lord gives us in His Word the perfect example here from Elisha and his servant. We need to show personal concern and involvement. And we need to provide biblical encouragement and instruction. And we need to go to the Lord in personal dependence on Him that He would open their eyes. Our tendency is to neglect one or more of those important matters. Either we, we are impersonal and cold in our relations with people, and we'll come and we'll, we'll bring our Bible, all right, and we'll just state the facts, but it all comes cold and impersonal. Or we're, we're very warm and, and, and personable people, but, but we fail to, to communicate God's truth. We don't speak the truth in love. We want to we butter it all, all up and make it all soft and fuzzy. Or because we're trusting our own skills, we fail to pray. So we need to have and maintain the balance. Yes, God uses His people. He does. God uses his people with his word. And even sometimes when we as God's people go about it all wrong, and we might quote the wrong verses from the Bible, the Lord God overrules. And his word is powerful and alive, and he uses it sometimes even despite us. But it will be prayer that gives power to our personal love and teaching. It never goes in church life without prayer. God works. Yes, He does. Not because we pray. Not if we pray. But when we pray. You see that so clearly in, in our text here. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young men. Then, when Elisha prayed. So you understand the servant's problem. He saw only the, the army of Syria with its horses and chariots and, and we heard what, what Elisha 
pronounced them, fear not, greater is the number who's with us than those who are with them. And, and to the Lord, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And this teaches us the need for patience and for prayer. We are often so impatient when we're dealing with people, struggling people. When, when that servant came back to Elisha after he had seen the, the enemy, and he's fearful that they're all surrounded by this enemy, Elisha was patient and loving. He didn't respond with, how annoying and frustrating you are. Here you come again. Why don't you just trust God? Just believe. Or here's seven steps to overcome this sin. Doesn't say anything like that. Instead, he encouraged him. And he instructed him with the word of God. And he knew that that servant needed special illumination and understanding that only God through the Holy Spirit can give him before he could stand fearlessly in faith. Before he could say, yes, they are more than are with them. I see them now by faith. Our third thought this morning is the Lord's provision. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. The Lord works a spiritual miracle here. He opens his soul's eyes. He gives him eyes of faith. And when the Lord opened his eyes, he saw. That's what it says here. And he saw. And behold. Is that, that same word? Behold again. And behold. In verse 15, when it said behold, it was about horses and chariots too. Then it was the, the enemy army surrounding the city with chariots and horses. And now the mountain is full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. But notice the difference between verse 15 and 17. The city is surrounded in verse 15 by an army with horses and chariots. And in verse 17, Elisha is surrounded by a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire. That's the difference. Horses and chariots of fire. First, the servant saw only the mighty enemy. The enemy's still there, but now he sees the almighty deliverance. And the great difference is that of fire in verse 17. How must we understand that? Children, you know your Bible history, right? The, who was the prophet before Elisha? Who's coming to your mind? The prophet before Elisha? Elijah. You, yes, it, it was Elijah. You remember when he, Elijah was taken up to heaven? How that went? They're walking along, Elijah and Elisha, and then suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. This is in 2 Kings chapter 2. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. 
So you have the same elements of horses and chariots and of fire. And that fire represents Jehovah's presence. Jehovah's protection. Jehovah's provision. And that was true in the Old Testament and it's just as true now in the New Testament. For every believer today, we are surrounded by God's protection. Now Elisha's servant sees an innumerable number of chariots and also of horses. And this massive number of horses and chariots of fire forms a wall of fire around Elisha. I don't know much about computers, but apparently they have a firewall. And the firewall on your computer can be broken. But this firewall of God's protection around his people can never fail. So great was this fire that the mountain was full of it. God's protective angels surrounded his servants in the Old Testament. And that's also true today in the New Testament. God's people, you are surrounded. The Bible tells us wherever we go, we are protected. Think about it. The Lord's provision and the protection for his servants and for his people. The greatest protection, the greatest provision is that deliverance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gives us eyes of faith to see it. The Holy Spirit illuminates. He sheds light on the word of God. Think of the encouragements in, in the word of God. Psalm 34 verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Every child of God is a person who fears the Lord. And the Bible says that the angel of the Lord encamps around you and delivers you. Psalm 91, verse 11, well-known psalm. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to his disciples, Do you think, do you, that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than twelve legions of angels? He could have, but he didn't. We can, and he does protects us wherever and whenever and whatever and whoever. Remember the servant's question? What shall we do? What shall we do? What am I supposed to do? When we're asked that question by a struggling believer, we have the answer before us now in today's verse. Fear not. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. See, that struggling beginner in grace doesn't see matters clearly. But there's also times when there are more experienced ones who, who, where, where our vision is blurred and, and 
we've taken our eyes off Christ Jesus the Lord and we're looking everywhere else and we need the same thing then an encouraging word and instruction from the word of God and prayer for opened eyes that we may see. What shall we do? The good question. Jesus was asked that same question by the Jews. They heard Jesus preaching about the law and grace. And the Jews, as you know, tried to mix those two. And when you mix law and grace, you take the grace out of grace. Jesus made that clear. In John 6, verse 28, they said, they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? What shall we do? And maybe someone here this morning is striving to overcome a, a certain besetting sin or, or powerful unbelief. And you want to work the works of God. You want to please God. And you want to be restored into His favor. And you want to receive the forgiveness of your sins. And you want to receive peace in your soul. You want to know that you have eternal life. And your question is, what do I have to do? Alas, Master, what shall we do? And what did Jesus answer those Jews that said, what shall we do that we should work the works of God? He said, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he has sent. That's the work of God. There's only one work of God that we are called to do without doing anything. It's simply believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus uses a singular word, work. The work of God. Not the works of God, but the work of God. And dear believers, you know that when we do this work of God, that it's His work in us. Otherwise, we would never do it. This is, that's why it's also called the work of God. It's not a work for God, but the work of God. It's a call to believing and trusting in the one whom God has sent, the Lord Jesus. Whether you're coming for the very first time in your life or, or for the millionth time, the answer is the same. The jailer called to Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? And what did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your house. Believe on him whom the Lord has sent. Trust him. You can't trust yourself. Believe on him. Trust him and come to him just as you are. With all your sins. He knows all about it. He knows everything. Come with all your iniquities, with all your guilt. Tell him, tell him honestly, Lord, all I deserve is to be cast into eternal hellfire right now. That's all, that's all I deserve. And yet, I come to you. To whom else shall I go? 
you have the words of eternal life. And I can't stay away from the Lord Jesus. I need him for my soul, for salvation. I can't fight sin without him. I place all my trust in Christ Jesus alone and in his finished work. There is no other way. My only hope for the salvation of my soul is in Christ Jesus the Lord. I know his blood can cleanse me from all my sins. His blood can enable me to overcome. My only expectation is Christ Jesus died for sinners like me and you. And I am such a sinner. And my only hope is that his righteousness has been imputed to me, put on my account. That all my unrighteousness has been imputed to him and put on his account. Believe on him whom God has sent. That's faith. The other side of faith is repentance. It's, it's like two sides of, of, the, of one coin. You can't do one without the other. And repentance is, is a Holy Spirit-worked change of your mind due to a change of heart. And it results in a change of life as you are being conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 2, verse 37, on the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching, and people shout to him and to the others, men and brethren, what shall we do? There's that same question again. What shall we do? And what's the very first word Peter spoke to them? He said, repent. He said more, but the first thing he said to them is, Repent. And he learned that from Jesus. We read about Jesus in the very first sermon that's recorded of him in Mark chapter 1. Jesus came preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's always the same. Repent and believe. Believe and repent. Whatever the issue is, whatever the burden is, whatever the problem is, whether it's backsliding or doubting or bitterness against somebody or, or unbelief or addiction of some kind, whatever it is, it's always the solution, the scriptural way of repentance and faith. That's the whole life of a true believer. Daily repentance and still believing. Daily repentance because we daily sin. It always goes together. Believe and repent. Believe penitently. Repent in faith. We all love Martin Luther. And we love it that he nailed his 95 theses on the church door in Wittenberg. But how many of us know the, the very first of those 95 theses? Thesis number one 
our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed that the whole life of believers should be repentance. That was the first of Luther's 95 theses. When we ask or are asked, what shall we do? Or what must we do? Then, then we ask it either as a believer who's lost sight of, of the grace of God in Christ Jesus and taken his eyes off Christ. Or we ask it as a person without faith or, or unsure about faith in Christ Jesus. And at their wit's end, and then we don't know where to turn anymore. Surrounded by impossibilities, then what do we answer? We come with good news, with the gospel, like Jesus did over and over. Fear not. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. Or we come with the gospel, like Paul did in Romans chapter 8, where he says, If God be for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Elisha's servant came and cried to Elisha, Alas, master, what shall we do? And his answer was, fear not, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In the New Testament, when, when little ones in grace struggling with temptations cry out, what shall we do? Then the Apostle John writes in 1 John 4, verse 4, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And who is it that is in you, dear believers? The Apostle Paul says it for us, and I'll close with this. Colossians 1, verse 27. Christ in you the hope of glory. Amen. Let's pray together. O oh Lord God Almighty, we've heard this morning of one of your little children who are crying out, Alas, Master, what shall we do? Surrounded by enemies, not knowing where to turn, seeing only impossibilities and no way of escape. And Lord, we have heard the answer of your servant Elisha. Fear not, for those who are with us are more or greater than those who are with them. Oh Lord God, we pray, open our eyes that we may see. Open the eyes, Lord, of your people, those who have already come to faith in Christ, who are living by grace, living out of your fullness. Open our eyes to see more and more of Christ Jesus. 
to see more and more in him. Lord, open our eyes to see that in him we have all that we need to overcome, to fight to the very end. That we with thy servant may say at the end of our lives, I have fought the good fight of faith. And now there is laid up for me a crown of glory which fadeth not away. But Lord, we pray too for those who are still strangers to the Lord Jesus and strangers to his grace. And we pray the same thing. Lord, open their eyes that they may see how sinful they are. Open their eyes that they may see how they have sinned against a holy and a righteous and pure God and stand condemned. But Lord, open their eyes wider that they may see grace in the Lord Jesus Christ and in Him alone. 